From WHYY and BillyPenn.com, it is hitting season. Hey there, podcast pals. I'm your host, John Stolness from The Good Fight. You can follow me on Twitter at John Stolness. Coming up, we're going to recap this quick two-game series. The Phillies just wrapped up against the Toronto Blue Jays, a series in which they earned their first sweep of the season. And yes, it counts, even though it's just two games. The Phillies now with a three-game winning streak as they enter uh, Thursday with an off day, and uh, they get ready to head into a weekend series in Colorado against the Rockies. The Phillies, after winning two straight against Toronto, now 18-19 and on the season, and two very entertaining games to finish up their homestand, which... Finished off a lot better than it was looking like it was going to. Uh, the Phillies are going 3-2 and two in that homestand against the Boston Red Sox and the Toronto Blue Jays. The Phillies here on Wednesday eking out a 2-1 to one win in 10 innings. This was an old-fashioned pitcher's duel between Zach Wheeler and Kevin Gaussman, both of whom were absolutely awesome in this game. Gaussman, I think I saw, was throwing about like three miles an hour harder than he normally does, touching 99. I was kind of wondering if the Citizens Bank Park gun was a little bit hot because they were reading Aaron Nola as throwing a little bit harder than he had been in previous series. And uh, Craig Kimbrell, they've been saying, has been throwing harder looking at the gun. I, I just wonder if maybe there's something off with the with the gun at Citizens Bank Park a little bit. But judging on the results by all of those pitchers I just mentioned, maybe I believe it. Maybe these guys are just starting to loosen up a little bit because Gaussman, it, sometimes when the offense doesn't do much, you want to yell at the players, the offense, the lineup for, for not hitting. Gossman was unhittable in this game. I mean, he was he was just an incredible. And, and there are some games you watch another team's pitcher and you just tip your cap and you're like, dude, I don't know how anybody gets a hit off of this guy. And I know sometimes we feel that way when we watch Zach Wheeler pitch against an opponent and you wonder, how does anybody ever square anything up on this guy? And in this game on Wednesday afternoon at Citizens Bank Park, almost nobody squared things up on anybody out on the mound. Zach Wheeler, just terrific. If there was a slow start to his season, I think he's put that behind him. It seems that some of the bad luck that he was encountering has dissipated, which we kind of figured that it would. A lot of the noise around his ERA and um, all that stuff is kind of fizzling out. And now we're starting to see this guy absolutely shove. Seven innings, three hits, one earned run, seven strikeouts, and only one walk in this performance. A great job getting into the eighth inning. Only ding was a Brandon Belt solo home run, uh, really, which the Toronto Blue Jays carried for most of this game. The Blue Jays led 1-0 going into the ninth inning, but the Phillies managed to get a rally going thanks to a JT Realmuto RBI single uh, that drove in Bryce Harper with the tying run. Um, Nick Castellanos was cut down at the plate uh, for the go-ahead run in the bottom of the ninth inning on on an Alec Bohm ground ball that Vlad Guerrero Jr. made a really nice play on at first and threw a bullet home, uh, got Castellanos out at the plate. I don't mind sending him in that spot. Kind of unfortunate, but you want to take a chance that if 
you know, listen, if Guerrero's throw is slightly offline, Castellanos probably scores on that play, but he made a real nice play. And so the game went into the 10th inning. Phenomenal job by Craig Kimbrell. As you know, you have the zombie runner starting on second base at the start of extra innings, but uh, that runner did not come around to score in the top of the 10th. And so in the bottom of the 10th, you had Edmundo Sosa starting on second base as the zombie runner. Uh, Bryson Stott struck out to start off the inning, but Trey Turner walked, and then Bryce Harper hit what looked like was going to be an inning-ending double play right back to the pitcher. But uh, Romero wheeled and threw a strike to second base. Bo Bichette made a nice turn at second, and then inconceivably threw wild over Vlad Guerrero's head at first base. It ricocheted off the the first base um the first baseline uh, boxes uh, where the fans sit came right back to Guerrero, and he threw a strike at to home a strike to home plate and almost got Sosa at home, but Sosa slid in with the winning run, and the Phillies will take it. I mean, as much as as every win has been a struggle for this team this year, the Toronto Blue Jays kind of handed them one here on Wednesday, and we are not going to look a gift horse in the mouth because look. The Phillies at some point this year, we know they don't play great defense most of the time. They've created a bunch of outs, running into outs on the bases this year. The Phillies have given away their fair share of games here in 2023. And I guarantee you, they will give away another few games here during the 2023 season on a bad defensive play, on a play that they misjudge a fly ball or they throw to the wrong base or they make an errant throw or something like that. It will happen. These things even out. So we will take this 2-1 to win here in the series finale on Wednesday afternoon. I mentioned Craig Kimbrell. He's throwing like 95, 96 miles an hour. He looked fan- he's, has looked fantastic lately. Uh, and uh, Greg Soto and Sir Anthony Dominguez did a great job uh, pitching the 8th and ninth innings. This team has so many good weapons in the bullpen, um, and we do have some bullpen injury news to pass along to you regarding Jose Alvarado. We'll do that here in just a second. Uh, but the Phillies are going to need these three guys, as well as Matt Strom, to pick up the slack uh, for Jose Alvarado over the next few weeks. And they absolutely did that in this game on Wednesday. So uh, terrific game, really fast-moving game, well-pitched game, classic pitcher's duel between two really good hard-throwing right-handers. It was a lot of fun. Uh, and then in the game on Tuesday, the series opener, the Phillies won 8-4 to following a big effort from Aaron Nola, who I mentioned his fast his fastball velocity was better in this last start. He averaged 92.6 miles an hour. That is his best average miles per hour on his fastball since the first game of the season against the Rangers, which was also at 92.6 miles an hour. Last week against against the Dodgers, he was only throwing 90.8 miles an hour. Miles an hour. So that was almost two full miles an hour faster. And so maybe, again, maybe these guys are, because they had a shortened offseason, because they pitched so deep into the season, deep into November, and they got started at spring training at the normal time, they maybe just not have had enough time to kind of ramp up, or they may not have had enough of an offseason. But uh, for whatever reason now, it seems like Nola here in this last start, the velocity was better. Now, that's not to say he didn't run into some problems, which he did. But the Blue Jays came into this series having scored 18 runs in the two previous games, and they had averaged averaged more than six runs a game since April 30th, but he held them to just two runs over six innings of work. It was his fourth quality start in his last five outings. So uh, Aaron Nola has pitched pretty darn well. 
over his last five starts. On April 16th against the Reds, he went six innings and gave up two runs. Against the Rockies on April 21st, he went seven innings and gave up three runs. On April 28th against Houston, he went eight innings and gave up just one earned run in that game. Of course, he didn't pitch great against the Dodgers last week. Four earned runs in six and a third innings, but six innings, two earned runs against the Blue Jays on May 9th. So that's six innings, seven innings, eight innings, six and a third, six. He's he's giving them innings, and he hadn't given up more than four earned runs in any of those five starts. He gave up two, three, one, four, and two. So Aaron Nola has done a pretty good job here over these last five starts, and he also did a great job working out of some big jams in this one. That has been his bugaboo early here in the season. He allowed two doubles in the third inning, but then stranded Bo Bichette on second base with one out, so he did not let that inning snowball. He also allowed a leadoff single in the fourth inning, but got a double play to get out of that one. And then he put three straight guys on base in the sixth inning and then emptied the tank to get out of that jam. Uh, So he gave up the leadoff home run to Bichette, but then uh, retired Matt Chapman, Brandon Belt, and Alejandro Kirk uh, to end the threat. And, uh, and then uh, that basically did it for him for the night. But I think in previous starts, he, that could have gone for a three, four, five, six run inning. And he didn't allow it to, to spiral out of control. He gave up the home run to Bichette. Um, but then after the next two guys got on, he got out Chapman belt and Kirk and, and that was it. So through eight starts this season, Aaron Nola three and two with a 4.44 ERA. I think Corey Seidman noted this, noted this in an NBC sports, Philadelphia post, the ERA for all starting pitchers in 2023 right now averages 4.54. Um, that's up half a run since last year. It was 4.05 last season was the average ERA. So offense way up in Major League Baseball right now. And Nola's ERA is slightly above league average. Now, you want Aaron Nola to be more than slightly above league average. That's You're not looking at signing him to a long-term deal where it sounds as though he wants something like $200 million to be a slightly above average starting pitcher. You you need more from him. What you need from him is what he has given you over these last five starts. So uh, maybe we can start to throw away those early starts to the season and start to get back to the to the good Aaron Nola, which we know is really good and really fun to watch. Nick Castellanos' comeback season continues. He had a great series against the Blue Jays, seemed to be on base throughout the, both of those games, went three for four with a two-run home run in the eight to four win on Tuesday. He also, uh, the Phillies also finally started walking a little bit more on Tuesday. They they walked seven times. Their 7.2% walk rate heading into Wednesday's game was fourth lowest in baseball. They're just not drawing enough bases on balls, and they're not striking out a ton, but they're striking out more than they should be, especially when they're not getting nearly as many walks. They, they, they've got a lot of free swingers on this team, and that's fine as long as you're getting hits and you're hitting home runs, but right now they do, they're, they're not getting the home runs. They're not getting all those kinds of – they're not getting those kinds of – big hits with runners in scoring position to justify the low walk rate. So that was good to see the seven walks on Tuesday night. They weren't able to follow that up with as many walks on Wednesday. But um, again, you take the victories any way that you can get them. And as I mentioned, the Phillies will now hit the road for a three-game series against the Rockies uh, and the Giants. Now, we did want to mention Jose Alvarado um, is hitting the injured list. And this is this is not great news. But I do think if there's any team that can deal with the absence of a guy like Jose Alvarado, it is the Phillies who went out this offseason and got basically three other guys who can close games. And Matt Strom, I think, is emerging as a guy who you're going to be able to use 
in high leverage innings. You're not going to be able to use, use him on back-to-back days. Right now, he he's he was stretched out as a starter or he was in kind of starter mode. So, uh, he he's not he's not ready to assume a reliever's workload just yet. So, he's going to be able to u- be used two to three times a week. But in the meantime, you do have Soto, you do have Dominguez, and you do have a rejuvenated Craig Kimbrell who is looking really good right now. Um, but uh, he was uh, uh, Jose Alvarado was unavailable for the Phillies on Tuesday. Uh, he said he had left wrist tightness. Uh, they went in and gave him uh, an MRI, and it showed that he had uh, some uh, inflammation in his throwing elbow, and that's always a worry. Rob Thompson said before the game on Wednesday that he was concerned. The Phillies placed him on the 15-day injured list with left elbow inflammation, but after the game, they did get some good news. They did further testing, which showed nothing more than inflammation, so no structural damage to his elbow, no tears, nothing like that. Uh, they are going to shut him down from throwing a baseball for a few days. He will go with the team on its six-game road trip to Colorado and San Francisco, but uh, according to NBC Sports Philadelphia, it doesn't look like he'll, he will be activated uh, when he's eligible to come off the injured list on May 23rd. It sounds like they're going to take it really slowly with him. He's not going to throw for a few days. They want to make sure they have him for the stretch run here during the course of the season. We know Alvarado throws hard. He throws 100 miles an hour, um, but any worries that he has been used too much so far this season? Uh, not something that anyone should worry about. He's only appeared in 14 of the Phillies' first 36 games. So if you if you take that over a full season, that's 63 games. And he's done that three other times in his career. They haven't been using him on back-to-back days. I think they've only done that once so far this year. And Alvarado, after the game, said that, you know, it's a difficult game. We can't control everything. He also mentioned the fact that they had a shorter offseason, and then maybe that had something to do with it. But, um, you know, Alvarado has been absolutely dominant here so far during the course of the season. Listen to some of these numbers from him. Uh, I mean, just... Just astonishing what kind of player he's turned into. Coming into Wednesday's game, he was fourth among all qualified relievers, 197 qualified relievers. He was fourth in Fangraph's wins above replacement at 0.7. He was 42nd in ERA, but a 1.88 ERA from your closer, you'll take that. 42nd out of 197 guys. His XFIP, his expected fielding independent pitching, which essentially strips out all batted ball data and takes a look at how he, how good a pitcher he he really, what his results should be, um, is number one. 0.64 XFIP tops in baseball, which essentially means he's pitching like the best relief pitcher in baseball. He's fourth among relief pitchers in strikeouts per nine, 15.09. He hasn't walked a single batter yet this year, so he is tops in strikeout to walk ratio, and his whip of 0.70 is 10th in Major League Baseball. So uh, the Phillies are losing a great relief pitcher. He might be the best relief pitcher um, in baseball right now. And he really has been that way since the second half last season. We saw it in the postseason. He got victimized by that Jordan Alvarez three-run home run. I'll tell you what, Alvarez is going to do that to a lot of guys. Um, and, uh, you know, he's he's let he just that just put that in the rearview mirror. And that's the great thing about Alvarado is he really seems to be able to do that. His his mental headspace is just so awesome. And it's great that he's doing this after he signed the extension with the Phillies back in November. I kind of forgot that they signed him to a two year contract extension that keeps him with the team through 2025, 24 strikeouts, no walks. 
Opponents have a 192 on base percentage against him right now. Uh, right now, he's going to be missed. He's going to be out for a few weeks. I wouldn't be surprised if he, we don't see him again uh, until June. But uh, I think that's the wise course of action, just to take it slowly. And you have enough depth in the bullpen. Andrew Bellotti was recalled from AAA uh, to jump back into the bullpen. I, I think you've got enough good high leverage relievers to to wait this out, to let to bring Alvarado back slowly so that you don't risk hurting the guy any further because he is a weapon and you absolutely want him for uh, the summer, the last three months of this season, four months of the season. So get him better, get him healthy, get him right. That's that's all that matters. But still unfortunate. You don't want to see your your best relief pitcher and maybe the top relief pitcher in baseball miss any time. But good news that it's not anything more than inflammation and something that they can handle with just a little bit of rest. Uh, wanted to mention one other thing uh, before we get to our guest. Uh, we're going to talk to Avi Wolfman Arendt from, uh, from our good friends at WHYY um, 90.9 FM uh, on our host for them. We're going to talk to him in just a couple of minutes. But before we do that, um, want to talk about some comments John Middleton made on the WIP Midday Show this week, talking about the Phillies' slow start and essentially blaming it on the injuries. He said, quote, I thought we'd been frankly a little bit ahead. I thought we would be frankly a little bit ahead of where we are right now. We got off to a rough start. A lot of injuries, a lot of key injuries. Bryce obviously being down, but Ranger being down is also big and Painter being hurt. Then, of course, we lost Reese and we lost Reese's replacement, Derek Hall. We're playing pretty well for a team that's as badly injured as any team in baseball. Now, I think it's fine if Middleton blames the injuries, but I don't agree that that's been the problem. I don't agree that that's been the reason this team has gotten off to kind of a bumpy start. I disagree that the injuries have been crippling, that they've been as badly injured as any team in baseball. In fact, Bryce Harper coming back early is really awesome. I mean, it's obviously a big deal. The only guy they're missing from their lineup now is Reese Hoskins. And this team has struggled with Bryce Harper in the lineup. I think it is the failure of the star players who have been healthy to perform up to expectations that has been hurting this team. Now, they're on a three-game winning streak, and those veteran guys have really come through here in these last couple of games. But you look at it, Matt Strom essentially replaced Ranger Suarez the first time he was out, and the, and the bullpen was fine without Strom. And so, I mean, you had Strom essentially giving you what Suarez would have given you. In, in the starting rotation, the bullpen was was doing their was doing a good job with all of the guys they have in the back of the bullpen. They had some of those Junior Marte games and they had some of those blow up games, but uh, overall the bullpen didn't really miss Strom with the four elite arms they had back there: Connor Brogdon, Bellotti, and all those guys. Um, and they because they still had four potential closers. What the problem has been with this team is is early struggles by Aaron Nola and Zach Wheeler and Taiwan Walker. Walker more especially and, and Nola than, than Wheeler, but those those three guys were not performing like top of the rotation starters. The starters the starting rotation ERA was abysmal. We 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 and I thought we'd get a little bit more out of Bailey Falter. Falter has been pretty rough so far, and they're gonna skip his next turn in the rotation, thankfully. But you had Trey Turner, Kyle Schwarber, and JT Real Muto really struggled the first six weeks. Turner is still riding the struggle bus, so is Schwarber. Real Muto hitting better now, but you had Harper and Hoskins. They definitely were sorely missed. But it not, not, it's not as if Hoskins is a notoriously hot starter either. So I don't think you can look at the injuries as as being the main reason for this. You look at your you look at your starting rotation, and you had all of your guys except for Ranger Suarez healthy, and you had a guy who was filling in for Ranger Suarez and doing a really good job at that. You had 
the daycare guys got off to real hot starts, but they were not ably aided by the by the World Baseball Classic guys. Really, Nick Castellanos is the only veteran star player who is playing like what we were hoping he would play like. And so I disagree that injuries have been the problem. I think underperformance by some of the healthy star players, a lot of the guys who, the three guys specifically who played in the World Baseball Classic, and the starting pitchers who maybe they were just still a little fatigued from a shorter than normal offseason. So, I mean, there there are reasons that, that they may have been playing badly, but that's that has been the cause of the slow start, not the injuries. I disagree that the injuries are the problem. And listen, not for nothing, the Braves have had injury issues too, right? Uh, Michael Harris was on the injured list recently. Max Freed, Travis Darno. there have been others. The Mets are without Edwin Diaz. Uh, Justin Verlander hasn't pitched for them most of the season. Max Scherzer was suspended for 10 games. So, you know, they, other teams have been without star players. And the Mets are struggling too, but it's not because of injuries. And the Braves are red hot, as they pretty much always are in the regular season. And they have had to deal with injuries. Teams are going to have injuries during the course of a season. You got to you got to be deep enough to survive them. And I think that this Phillies team is deep enough to survive them. They have a lot of really good players. They just they got to start hitting some more home runs and they got to get more outings from Nola, from Wheeler and Taiwan Walker like they have the last time out. And thankfully those three guys in their last starts really performed well. The three three great starts from Zach Wheeler, Aaron Nola and Taiwan Walker. That's what this team needs. In order to win games, it's no coincidence. They got three great starts from those guys, and they won all three games. It's not always going to work out that way, but that's the that's the design of this team. That's why you got out, you went out and got those guys. And uh, bringing Ranger Suarez into the mix uh, here this weekend will hopefully only add to the starting pitching depth and them being able to avoid Billy Falter for a start here is certainly good news. Uh, we'll see how well he is able to adjust. Maybe he needed a little bit a little bit more time and uh, get a few extra off days and, and we'll see a better Bailey falter his next time out. A couple other quick notes. Uh, Andrew Painter was with the big league team this week. No change to his timetable on coming back. He's still not close to returning. Uh, Rob Thompson said Painter uh, was in Philadelphia to continue his throwing program, but it was just a chance for the medical and coaching staff to get a look at him. Uh, he had been rehabbing exclusively in Clearwater. Uh, they say that Painter could be begin doing flat ground work next week throwing off flat ground. So uh, Thompson says there's been no setbacks. Everything is going fine. They, again, just want to, I think, bring him aboard as a mid-season addition to the starting rotation. And uh, as I mentioned, Ranger Suarez is expected to get his first start of the season. He'll be in Colorado against the Rockies this week. An interesting place uh, for you to get back into the into the groove, that hitter's ballpark known as Coors Field. Joining me to talk about this uh, Phillies team that we've been watching here during the course of these first five weeks of the season, Avi Wolfman, errant of 90.9 FM WHYY. He's the co-host of Studio 2 there, of course, WHYY, uh, our content partners uh, with Hit and Season here. So it is a great pleasure to talk to Avi. Thanks for coming on Hitting Season, man. I appreciate it. How are you? I'm doing all right. Thanks for having me. It's great to talk to you. And uh, I know a lot of Philly fans are, are familiar with your work. And uh, we'll be looking forward to having you on the show on a hopefully semi-regular basis, uh, as, as often as you're able to join it. And I know that you're a big Phillies fan. You're a big Eagles fan, for sure. But I also know that, in particular, I think, it, would it be fair to say the Sixers are your are your number one? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, with a bullet. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I got that vibe from your Twitter feed, uh, which is at at, at Avi underscore W A. By the way, um, 
So I guess the question is when, when the Sixers are going on a run like this, and, and clearly I think you've got to be more excited than you have been at any time in the Embiid era as they're looking to close out a second round series in game six, how much of the other teams, how much of the Phillies are you allowing to creep into your headspace? You know, how do you make room for all of the sports? Because sometimes, you know, you need to consolidate and you need to triage your Philly sports, right? For sure. And even more so now for me, because I have a, infant daughter so I, kind oh, of yeah. have to, I have to pick my battles a little bit with what i watch and what i consume um so yeah right now not thinking about the phillies a ton is funny actually my cousin texted me the other day and wanted some phillies thoughts and i was like man I, you know <laughs> bank's kind of empty right now um yeah but like i've always like i'm a three for four guy like I, yeah. i'm not a hockey person i don't follow the flyers don't same same the flyers. Mm-hmm. um but you know i always follow the eagles and the phillies and the sixers and among the three, there's always one that like particularly captivates me. And I kind of become obsessed with that team. And it's been the Sixers really in the Joel Embiid process mm-hmm. era, mm-hmm. Um, even really pre-Embiid. And um, there's been other times when it's been the Phillies and other times when it's been the Eagles. Um, and I'm always following yeah. the Phillies. But yeah. um, right now, like my too much of my conscious thought <laughs> You can always, you can always tell by a person's tweets. You know what I mean? Like you, if you just, if you your internal monologue, yeah, 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 exactly. What you're thinking, what's, what's going on inside. It just comes out naturally in the, on the tweet deck. And so you could just scroll through and see, okay, (laughs) I know where the priorities are. I I know who this person is. I think I get this guy. Um, and so let me ask you a question here. So let's like make a deal with the devil time. Would you be good with this scenario? Well, the Sixers win the NBA title. Let's just say that that happens. Would you, tr- but you guarantee that neither the Phillies nor the Eagles win another championship for this decade. Would you be willing to make that trade? The Sixers get their title this year, but no other Philly sports team wins a title for the next 10 years. Yes. Easy. Yes. Okay. I've already seen the Phillies win. I've been part of that. Um, I've seen the Eagles win. I've been part of that. I've never seen the Sixers win because I, I was born after uh, 82, 83. Yeah. Um, also, I mean, the only thing that would pain me about that would be more the specific players on the Phillies and Eagles who implicitly would not would never win a championship, at least not in Philadelphia. Like, it would be tough for me if Bryce Harper. Yeah. Um, I mean, you see a decade. I guess it's possible in the 11 years Bryce Harper still in the Phillies and playing at a decent level. But let's, let's say – it, it would pay me that Bryce Harper would never like, have a ring as a Philly. It would pay me that Jalen Hurts would never have a Super Bowl as an Eagle. But that would be the only real drawback for me. Um, like, I don't feel like I'd need a title for either of those other two teams to validate the, team, yeah. the time and attention and money I've poured into them. <laughs> for the Sixers, it does feel like there is um, a debt that I've accumulated Right. I got to pay that thing down, man. Yeah, no, I totally get it. And I don't, I would not personally, because, you know, for me, Sixers are, are number three, you know, after, right. after, after Phillies and Eagles. So I'm, I'm definitely more invested in, in those other two franchises, but I get it. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah. been 1983. It's been 30 years, right? Since the last title. Is that right? If I'm think if I'm doing the math right, or is 40, it 40. 40 years? Gosh. Yeah. It's been yeah. a long time. And I think for me, like when I'm kind of, I don't know. I don't even want to say picking because it's not conscious. Like I don't pick one of the three to be like my top at any given time. But when one of the three 
gravitates to the top, a lot of it is because I'm like captivated by the narrative of that team and how it's been built. And like, so for the Phillies, like the peak of my Phillies obsession was basically from the time Jimmy Rollins came up to the dissolution of that team after yeah. their, their great run. Yeah. And to me, it was like the journey of that team, adding basically a new piece every single year, whether it was someone coming up from the farm or, you know, free agency or, you know, sort of the, the you know, rule five or whatever, you know, like just like, yeah. the, like yeah. it's the progression and the building of the, the story of that team that for me as a fan is like so absorbing and the Sixers from like the last seven or so years have had, at least for me, this completely captivating narrative and I want to see it in the right way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it is, it's amazing how it's kind of come along here and, you know, there's still yeah. a long road to go, but I know for, I know Sixers fans like yourself are, are jonesing right now to, to get onto the Eastern conference finals and see what mm -hmm. happens there. So getting back to the Phillies, just real quick, you know, they're, they've been stumbling along a little bit this season. Now, um, as we're speaking, uh, they're on a three game winning streak. They swept the two game series from the blue Jays. Uh, they won the series finale on Wednesday, thanks to a throwing error. And, you know, we'll take them any way we can get them. Uh, <laughs> It has been a disappointing start to the season. They're a game under 500 as we as, as play begins on Thursday and the Phillies have an off day. John Middleton was on WIP this week and he seemed to lay the blame for a lot of the slow start on the injuries. But I point out that they've had a starting rotation that still had Aaron Nola, Zach Wheeler and Taiwan Walker in it, all big money guys. They had a fully healthy bullpen. This is until Jose Alvarado hit the injured list uh, earlier on Wednesday. And a lineup where the daycare guys were playing well above expectations. And you still had Trey Turner, JT Realmuto, Nick Castellanos, Kyle Schwarber in it. I just, do you feel like the injuries, the issue, you know, the 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 fact that Bryce has been out and Re they lost Reese and they didn't have Ranger, is that enough of an excuse for the reason that they've kind of gotten off to a rocky start this year? No. No, I mean, yeah, I I don't think that's like enough of a justification. And also in baseball, missing your guy, like if you want to put on the Bryce Harper thing, and obviously he came back way sooner than anyone ever expected. But if you want to put it on, if you, if you want to say, well, we didn't have Bryce Harper for a good chunk of the first part of the year, like in baseball is an ensemble sport. Like if most of your ensemble is healthy, like it's hard for me to to buy into that as a real legitimate excuse. Not that yeah. I've been up on the team, I actually think they have a decent chance of of turning right. this around. But yep. um, you know, like as like we go back to the Sixers basketball, like if you're missing your Bryce Harper in basketball, everything that you do is basically meaningless because yeah. like the geometry of the game is totally different when your star is out. But for baseball, you know, it, it's such a segmented game. It's such an ensemble game. Like, it, to me, if most of your team is healthy, which they basically have been, and you have a lot of talent, like, you should win. Right. Not every game, but you should win more games than you lose. Exactly. You should be over 500 when, you, when you've got two Cy Young caliber starters still making a start every fifth day and another guy who could be a number three, a great bullpen. You've still got like four all-stars on there and young guys playing well. It never struck me as a reasonable excuse, especially since there are other teams in the division that have also been dealing with injury issues this season. Everybody has injury issues. So no, for me, for me, for me, it's been the stars have underperformed. You know, the guys like Trey Turner has gotten off to a horrible start this year. Yeah. Um, his on base percentage, I think, now is under three hundred. Like, it's did, you, just... did you get a sense? I, I'm such a, like a neurotic fan, but when he was just like raking in the World Baseball Classic, there was <laughs> yes. part of me that was like, 
you're you're like you're firing your bullets now and you only get so many bullets in baseball because the slump always comes for everybody at some mm -hmm. point yeah um and like as he was just like just annihilating everything and i was thinking like there's a there's some and it doesn't make any sense it's a fallacy but i'm thinking there's a finite number of home runs you can hit you know yeah with your ability in a given year yeah. you're wasting all of them now yeah no i definitely felt that and for sure and because schwarber had a good world baseball classic real muto had a good world baseball classic and i wonder if some of that just the upending of the schedules, playing games with that level of intensity that early in the season, whether or not that's affected stuff, you know, mm -hmm. as as the first month of the season. There's no way to really know that. There's there's really no quid pro quo for that sort of thing. So it's hard to say, but it's not nothing. And I think at the point now, Trey, with with Trey Turner specifically, because I think we've seen Real Muto turn things around. He's gotten all, he's doing a little bit better now. Schwarber still is having problems, but this is not a one-year thing. Schwarber always takes the first two months of the season off and then shows right. up in June and hits in four June, jillion yeah. home runs. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, we're just waiting for June, exactly. Um, but with Turner, I think we're all surprised by how slow a start he's gotten off to. And I think now he's in his own head. Like, he's late on fastballs. He's indecisive at the plate. Yeah. Um, he's, he's really struggling in big spots. Now, in the 10th inning, he had a big one-out walk that kind of set the stage for Bryce Harper uh, to come through with the with the ground ball that eventually led to the throwing error that led to the win. So that was good. He didn't try to do too much in that 10th inning at bat. But I think he. it seems to me like it's kind of getting to him a little bit. First year in a new city, we saw Bryce Harper struggle when he first got here his first couple of months in Philadelphia. We saw it with Nick Castellanos last year all season. And I think we're seeing it with Trey Turner a little bit. Yeah. Well, yeah. When you have the contract att attached to your name, um, I think everything changes. Yeah. Well, for better or for worse. And, you know, I don't, I don't think it's like, there's not a long-term effect to that, but I think, you know, when you, uh, when people can say your blank million dollar Trey Turner or blank mm -hmm. million dollar Bryce Harper or blank million dollar Nick Castellanos, instead of just your name, I feel, I always feel like that, that changes guys a little bit. It does, but, say, but, but like not like in a not like in a permanent way, you know. Right, right, and I think he'll be fine he at some point. It's just kind of excruciating to watch during totally. this not fine time that he's having at the moment. Totally. Um, so looking in the division, I mean, I know as a as a Phillies fan, there are, I think we have two great hatreds in our lives: the Braves and the Mets, for the most part. And then there's <laughs> other teams that, of course, will also elbow for room every once in a while. Yeah. But the Braves right now are running away with the division again. It looks like they're going to win yet another division title. I think it would be six in a row for them. I don't know what it is with that franchise. They don't seem to be able to win a division title without winning at least uh, a baker's dozen in a row. But they're running away with it, and they're just they're always hateable. The Mets are the Mets, and some fans I know have a special hatred for the Mets, even though they're consistently irrelevant and find a way to screw things up every year. Which division rival do you dislike more? Well, for me, that's easy. It's the Braves, and I'll tell you why. Because I grew up a Phillies fan, but I did not grow up in Philadelphia. I grew up uh, in the D.C. area. So for me, when I got to watch the Phillies as a kid, it was because they were either playing the Cubs oh, like yeah. again, or they were playing the Braves. On, on TBS. Superstation, TBS. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it was always, you know, because I grew up in the 90s, like the Braves just kicking our ass. Like it was yeah. like Chipper Jones, three for five, two doubles. We lose, <laughs> yeah. we lose by six, you know, Tom Glavin shut out, Craig Maddox shut out, John Smoltz shut out. Um, so for me, it was really easy to hate the Braves because I was, it was like, a, it was like the opposite of exposure therapy. It was like just exposure to them <laughs> killing us all the time. And that was like, 
and it was a downtime for the Phillies. You know, it'd be like it'd be like Chipper Jones three for five, two doubles off of Robert Person. You know what I mean? Like, right, right. And I was watching, but it wasn't fun. It's um, not a fair fight. Yeah, it wasn't a fair fight. So, uh, no disrespect to Robert Person, who I actually liked a lot. But um, if so, for me, I I always disliked the Braves more. I kind of had to more come around disliking the Mets. That was more when I moved up here. Um, I know it's New York and, you know, New York, Philly, but there was just nothing about the team. It really, I guess, wasn't until like the 2007, 2008 era where I really had yeah. any type of feeling about the Mets. Um, it came on pretty strong at that point. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah. But it still was not my, like, it wasn't my childhood ancestral hatred. And I think the hatred was more them towards us because the Phillies got the better of them in those two seasons right. in 2007. Right. So it didn't really feel like it was kind of even there. And and I think the Mets have still kind of been trying to kind of catch up to the success the Phillies yeah. have had over the years. Um, and yeah, I agree with you. For me, it's Atlanta. It, it's, it's, I hate just don't their whole vibe, man, you know, the yeah. whole, and they're still doing the tomahawk chop, which is just, yeah, yeah. you know, seriously enough already guys enough. Yeah. You've got it. Like, I, I, I also just felt like there was something and this kind of cuts against the grain because you feel like, oh, I should hate the Mets because like it's the Northeast and, and the big brother, little brother thing with New York and Philly. But for me, it was just always annoying that the Braves had all these good teams and like just pretty apathetic fan base from what I could tell. Yeah. Like like all like all the exposure and resources in the world by sort of being on this national network when no one else was incredible fortune um, in terms of drafting and development um and all the pitchers I mean, trading for greg maddox it just felt like it felt like the team that if it was in philly we would have loved and i don't know maybe i'm this is my hatred showing through but i always just felt like like they didn't really they didn't even appreciate or care that they had this amazing thing like this yeah. totally amazing you mentioned the run that they went on with division titles you know for um like 11 years yeah yeah and <laughs> like it just felt like it was totally taken for granted in a town that would re much rather have like seen like georgia tech yeah the georgia like, bulldogs yeah, yeah have like yeah. an eight and three season you know what right, i mean like right, it, right. it felt so undeserved yeah oh, it's a college football town it's always been a college football town more than a right. professional sports town and and that's a, another good reason to to really hate those guys um a couple more for you here so which current sure. phillies player would you most want to have a beer with um, I, I have always been interested by relief pitchers and we were just talking about Alvarado. Um, so this is not related to the fact that I guess he would have time to have a beer. Yeah. He'd be, um, yeah. His dance card's a little more open now, <laughs> but I think it would be, it would be him. Um, or, you know, Ranger Suarez who's done both. Um, I, I've always been fascinated by relief pitchers and interested by their mentality and their eccentricities. And he does seem like a eccentric guy. Mm-hmm. The stomping on the mound and getting <laughs> out the dirt and yeah. like i just feel like it takes a particular type of person to live with the volatility mm -hmm. of of outcomes yeah that a relief pitcher has to deal with yeah. like you know two squib hits and you're the you're the guy that ruined the game um and like the flip side of course like you know you can come in strike three guys out and save the game and i always i just for me, it's I, I've always I've always like been interested in the mentality of relief pitchers. I would love to pick a relief pitcher's brain, especially if they had a few drinks and maybe were <laughs> loosened up.
And he's got such an interesting journey too, because he was such yeah. I just struggled with his command and his control for so long and figured it out through some mental training exercises and totally revamped how he thinks about himself and his craft and what he's trying to do and, and all that stuff. He, yeah. Yeah, you're right. He's, I think that would be a real good choice. He's absolutely fascinating. Well, who's your answer? You know, I was thinking about that too. And I, I was going to say, I like, I think kind of like you relief pitcher, Matt Strom is, is become a very interesting character for me. I'd like yeah. to sit down and talk to Matt he, Strom. He had, the com he had the comment about the sixth inning, the seventh inning and the beer, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. And I mean, it's just, he's kind of very, I think he's got a good awareness of the world around him. Yeah. It seems to me, you know, like and so like he seems that. pretty down to earth. And if I, if I had to pick a position player, I probably would love to just pick Brandon Marsh's brain for a little bit and see what's going on <laughs> inside there. Cause he does seem like an interesting guy. I don't think he, I think he's got some screws loose up there. It's not, he's not a hundred percent brain healthy. <laughs> I don't think, but, um, <laughs> just, I think that would be a very interesting hour to sit down and, and, and share a burger with that guy. Absolutely. Yeah. It would, be, it would be more than one beer, I'm thinking. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely right. All right. So uh, last thing for you here. Um, right now, Fangraphs has the Phillies at about 45% to make the playoffs, which is pretty good. That's the sixth mm -hmm. best odds in the National League. So right now, they would be in. That's just enough to get them in. So as we're looking over these last few months of the season, there's still a whole summer to go. And really, we don't even look at the standings in the wild card until Memorial Day rolls around. Because even if you're three, four, five games under 500, you're still around two games back of the wild card always. Like you're never going to be out of it as long as you're around 500. So what's your thoughts on, on the Phillies and their chances of making the postseason here, given the way things have started, their injuries, and, and the direction the team is heading right now? I. I think they'll make it. I mean, I don't know. There's really nothing to that other than gut. And I think the good vibes from last year um, and just that feeling that there's too much talent for them not to make it. Yeah. Uh, maybe we'll all find out that John Middleton is right. And it was the injuries and they get a little healthier. Um, but yeah, I, I just, I look at the teams around them and it, they're not like blowing me away. Um, like you said, the Mets have struggled. Like the Marlins are one of those teams that has like a like a superficially decent record, but they're like not good. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I think there's like chances to rack up wins in the division, outside of the Braves. And then I don't know. I'm like kind of looking. I'm like kind of scrolling through the standings now. Like it, it just feels like outside of obviously the Dodgers as always and the Braves. Yeah. It's not like it. No one is like really putting fear into me where I'm thinking like several of these teams will finish ahead of the Phillies. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I think it really is just sniffing the vibe from last year a little bit and still yeah. feeling like, like that magic will resurface at some point. Um, but I don't know. My gut would say, yeah. I, I wish it didn't feel like the division was already over, but it does feel like the division is already over. It's not technically you know there's still time to catch them but you know seven eight games back that's a real yeah. that's a tough slog as good as the braves are like it's not like it's the pirates who are playing over their head and they're suddenly seven games up like you feel like if it was the pirates in front of you seven games up you feel like you could catch them because yeah. you know they don't have the pedigree but the braves this is just kind of what they do so it's gonna be hard to catch those guys and also i mean obviously like you know we grew up in the like the four team era one wild card mm -hmm. like if that was the situation i'd feel totally different about it but like yeah. just it just yeah. feels like now i don't know what you got to get to like 88 wins or something like that you're yeah. right there in the mix yeah um i just feel like they'll find a way there 
Well, it'll be a journey, and and Abby, I want to make sure we get you on again during the summer to, yeah, to chat man, about the films. Yeah, make this a regular thing because I think it'd be a lot of fun. And folks, make sure you're listening to Avi uh, on WHYY ninety point nine FM, co-host of Studio Two. That airs one to three in the afternoon, right? Uh, noon to one. Noon, noon to one. one. Noon to one. Okay, my bad. So noon, noon to one, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. Um, and it's like you know if. if it would probably be more applicable to you if you're listening from Philly because it's more like a local newsy focus show. But yeah. um yeah, live radio, call-ins, all that stuff, and we have fun and do the news. And I'm really selling it right now. Jeez. Um, <laughs> I wasn't thinking too much about the studio two part of this. I was like really in Philly's brain mode. Um yeah, yeah. 12 to 1. All right. Well, there you go. And make sure to follow him on Twitter at Avi underscore WA. And you're going to get a lot of good Sixer stuff uh, right now. But uh, you'll get the you'll get the random Phillies Eagles thing as well. Avi, thanks for coming on Hitting Season, man. I appreciate it. Absolutely. I appreciate you having me. All right. One last thing uh, before we wrap up the podcast, uh, an announcement that the Phillies are going to be heading to London in 2024. According to Scott Lauber of the Inquirer, the Phillies are tentatively scheduled to travel to London next year for a two game regular season series against the Mets. This is part of Major League Baseball's attempts to grow the sport outside of the United States. We saw them have great success with it during the World Baseball Classic. This year, the Cardinals and the Cubs will meet in the 2023 London Series. That'll happen on June 24th and June 25th, played at London Stadium. It is probably no surprise that the Phillies were selected to this because um, our very own Chase Utley, did you guys realize he moved to London with his family to serve as Major League Baseball's ambassador to the United Kingdom back in July of last year? So I'm wondering if maybe Utley was integral in getting his former team to come to London and uh, and, and take part in the London Stadium Series. And by the way, Chase Utley will appear on the Hall of Fame ballot for the first time in 2024. Uh, that would be pretty fun uh, as the team uh, now gets... Uh, ready to go over to London and they'll they'll see old Chase again over there and um, pretty neat what Chase Utley is doing for baseball. I had kind of forgotten that he that he moved over there and that he was doing that and um, I know that the Phillies have a, a UK contingent, some fans who are over in the UK who have discovered baseball and discovered the Phillies and and really love those guys. Uh, that is going to be a great thing. I'm happy for I'm happy for our British Phillies fan friends uh, who will be able to actually uh, watch a couple of games uh, in without having to travel across a gigantic gigantic ocean in order to do it. All right, let's get to our stat of the week. The Phillies came into their two-game series against the Blue Jays, having played 70 games against them in interleague play and were 28 and 42. That's a 400 winning percentage. Not very good. The two teams had also played a lot of two-game series. They had played nine two-game series in their history. The Phillies had never swept both games of that two-game series. The Jays had swept five of those two-game series, and the team split the other four. The Phillies were 4-14 and in those two-game series. All those stats courtesy of the Good Fights stat guru Schmenkman. But the Phillies now have just swept the two-game series from the Jays for the first time ever and now improved to 30-42 and 42 against them in interleague play. Um, just so you know, their worst winning percentage in interleague play is against the Angels at 4-12 uh, with a 4-12 and 12 record against them. But uh, they did win three in a row last year in their three-game sweep of the Angels at Citizens Bank Park, of course, capped off by the memorable Bryce Harper Grand Slam and Bryce Bryson Stott walk-off shot. Their most losses against any single American League team is the team that 
preceded them in Philadelphia this week, the Red Sox at 34 and 50. 50 losses against the Red Sox in interleague play. Uh, Their best record by winning percentage in interleague play is against the Chicago White Sox, who they played and took two out of three from earlier this season. They are 13 and nine against the White Sox. That is a 591 winning percentage against the Southsiders. All right, everybody, that's going to do it for this edition of Hit and Season. My thanks once again to Avi Wolfman Aaron for coming on the podcast. And don't forget to check out our website at billypencom slash hit and season. You can find all of our podcasts there. Um, all of our write-ups for the different podcasts and uh, lots of great pictures from the tailgate from last weekend if you didn't get a chance to go and you want to see some uh, some pictures from the tailgate so that you can be properly motivated for the next one, I uh, would highly recommend you checking out our Hit and Season page over at billypen.com. Again, it's at billypen.com slash hit and season. And if you want some bonus podcast stuff, you can go over to the Hit and Season Patreon. We got the Dirty Inning and Continued Success and some other stuff there as well. The exclusive home now of the Dirty Inning and Continued and uh, and uh, not Continued Success. I'm sorry, Absolutely Hammered. The exclusive home of Absolutely Hammered and the Dirty Inning. Go to patreon.com slash hit and season. Thanks everybody for tuning in. We'll talk to you next time right here on Hit and Season. <laughs>